Thank you, girls. I just love them. I love you too, Jevin. Do you get overshadowed a little bit by those sisters of yours? They can't play basketball, though, can they? <laughs> I'm going to come down here. I think um, one of the best things about yesterday, there were lots of good things, but it was so cool to hear them announce over the speaker at the fairgrounds all of the partners that came together for the Rock and Ribs Fest. And what was cool about that was not that our name was mentioned, but that our name was mentioned in cooperation with Agape Fellowship Church. When we start to gather with other believers, whether they're Nazarenes or not, and provide something for our community, that is kingdom work. That is church with a big C, work. And Jesus is blessed by that. When we can break down those walls and those boundaries and come together with others in a common purpose, that is fantastic. And it was just an amazing thing yesterday for all of us to be able to do that together. So thank you for everyone who came out. Well, how are you feeling about this radical faith thing? It's tough, isn't it? Some challenging stuff, and today is no different. So we'll just jump in. If you'll stand with me, we're going to read from James chapter 2. In the first service, I was telling them I got this new Bible. It's really thin. You know, I thought, oh, that'd be nice to carry around. I can't see it. I forgot my eyes were old. So I had to go down to my office at Sunday school time, put little sticky notes in there so I could find it faster. So faith and deeds. Um, everybody smile. Because this is a tough one. So you have to smile now. Okay, and then we'll all smile at the end. Okay? All right, so here's the scripture, starting with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Father, you've given us a, a hard scripture this morning, but Lord, there is so much truth in here that we need to hear this morning. I pray that you'll help us to hear it and to apply it. 
to our lives. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Amen. You may be seated. So when we have a passage of scripture like this, there are a couple things I think, first of all, um, that we need to kind of understand or clear up about the passage before we start to unpack it. Um, This is one of those passages of scripture that's very challenging. It's difficult and it causes people to immediately start looking for loopholes because they want to get out from underneath of the truth of the passage. This truth is, is penetrating. It's, it's undeniable. And the difficulty really is in that it requires an active response from us. A, a passage like this requires a response. And to not respond is a response. So there's really not any way to get around responding to something like this. The first thing that we need to understand about this passage is to whom James is writing. Who are his words meant for? We teach kids in school when they write papers, you need to think about your audience. Who is it that you're writing to? If you're writing to a group of second graders, you're going to use different vocabulary and you're going to write it differently than you would if you're going to be speaking to adults. And so we need to look at James's audience. Who was this letter intended to be written to? It is intended for people who are well-established in their faith. Christians who are well-established in their faith. Now, I'm not talking about just any Christian. Whether we like it or not, that term, Christian, has a negative connotation in our society today. If you ask a hundred different people what a Christian is, you'll get a hundred different answers. Some people think if you just believe in God, you can call yourself a Christian. That's not who James is writing to. James is writing to hardcore Christ followers. People who have accepted Christ as their Savior. People who have said, I will follow you. I will serve you. I will obey you. I am going to, at all costs, be a follower of Christ. He's talking to people who understand the commitment that they have made to be a Christ follower. These people understand forgiveness and mercy and grace because they've received it from him. And because of that, they've decided to follow at all costs. They're very well established in their faith. Therefore, that letter applies to most of us. Now, the second thing we kind of need to get resolved is what seems to be this contrasting point of view that we find in Romans chapter 3 that the Apostle Paul writes. So if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 3. I don't have this one on the screen, but Romans chapter 3. Start with verse 21, and we'll read through 29. Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 21, righteousness through faith. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement 
through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? Is it excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, Gentiles too. So here we see a little bit of what we could think of as a contrasting point of view. Something kind of in opposition of what James was saying. And people who are looking for those loopholes to get out from underneath hard truth will try to pit these two scriptures against one another and use them to whichever side they, you know, best suits them. We don't like truth really that smacks us in the face, do we? My father-in-law, he's not here, so I can even tell a different story. He was here the first service, but no. My father-in-law has this thing about lettuce. He does not want to eat a salad that has all that frou-frou lettuce in it. Like, he doesn't want spring mix or any of that lettuce that's long and kind of jagged and has those stems on it. I don't know if that's endive or arugula or what that is. But he says he doesn't want to eat a salad that smacks him in the face as he's eating it. You know, it's hard to cram it all in your mouth without part of it. Okay, maybe, maybe you just need to sit down and eat the salad like that with Charles. But he doesn't like it. Well, we don't like truth that kind of jumps up and smacks us in the face. And that's this passage of scripture we find in James. James is talking to people well established in their faith. Christ followers. Paul was talking to people who were new in their faith, seekers, people who had just come to acceptance of Christ. And he was saying to them, the only way to Christ, and we all believe this, is through, the only way to God is through Christ. You can be a wonderful person. You can do all the right things. You could spend three days of your week feeding hungry people out of food food uh, shelter type place, you could spend the other two days visiting people in nursing homes and the other two days visiting people in prison. That wouldn't be enough unless you believed by faith that Jesus Christ died for you, accepted that, and then that is your way to God. So Paul is saying we can't get to God just by our deeds and our actions. That's for new Christians he's speaking to. In James, James is talking to us. People established in their faith. Christ followers who profess him as Lord and Savior and who believe and that they are responsible for kingdom work. To use these two passages of scripture against one another is to do so in error. Now, last week, Joe touched on the Great Commission, which is what we as Christ followers are called, commanded, 
expected to do in order to expand the kingdom of God. We're called to tell people about Jesus and his message of hope. We are called to make disciples by sharing Jesus with others. And I think we would all agree that this is our mission as his church. This is the context in which James is speaking to us. He's speaking to established Christians, established Christ followers, who have been called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples of people. So why am I making such a big deal about the audience of this letter? Because it's us. It's all of us that he's speaking to. And here's what James is saying, if you paraphrase it. Our faith means nothing to anyone but us if there's no action on our part to share Jesus with others. That's a hard truth. Say it like this to yourself as I read it. It'll make you feel even worse. My faith means nothing to anyone but me if there is no action on my part to share Jesus with others. That's what James is saying. One of the things that I have always despised the most as a public school teacher are empty words. I'm sure Steve Knox heard plenty of empty words from students who were groveling for forgiveness in his office. For the first 10 years of my teaching career, I taught kids with behavior and emotional disorders, and four of those years were in a high school, so most of the kids were on probation and had been adjudicated at, at some point. And I heard all kinds of empty words, empty promises from those kids, and it really made me out to be a very cynical person. I, and I have to work on that constantly because I have people saying things to me sometimes, and I'm, I, you know, in my head I'm thinking, yeah, right, you're not going to do that. So don't say you're going to do it if you're not, not going to do it. So I have to work on that. But I would have kids constantly saying to me, please, Mrs. Payne, I promise I won't do it again if you don't write me up. Please. You don't mean that. You're going to do it again in 10 minutes. Or, please, Mrs. Payne, don't call my probation officer. I, I'm so sorry. I promise I won't do it again. Yeah, you will. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. No, you're sorry you got caught. You're not really sorry for what you did. Lots of empty words from kids. And then parents. We're sorry our kids spit on you and cussed you out. We have no idea where he learned that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you know where the kid learned it. But, you know, empty words, empty promises. And I learned very early on in my parenting that empty threats, empty words were going to get me some very ill-behaved children. So God thought he'd really amp up that test on me and give me a very strong-willed child to start off with. <laughs> and if you know my very strong-willed child, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I have not been a perfect parent by any stretch of the imagination, and I will be the first to admit that. I've made a lot of mistakes, and I don't need any of you to lovingly come and confirm that for me after the <laughs> service. I already know 
I have not been a perfect parent, but one thing that I have always done with all of my kids is not fed them empty words and empty promises. If I told my kids they were going to have a consequence if they acted in a certain way, they got a consequence. If I counted to three, they moved by two because they knew I was coming after them. And I still, Tanner Payne would not admit this, but I still can get that boy to move if I count. <laughs> now he's 20, I should probably stop the counting to three thing. But it gets him out of my hair sometimes. And, and even when they started to kind of think, oh, I bet she's not really, you know, I, I'm big enough now, this isn't going to matter. And they'd sit there and wouldn't move. When I hit three, I jumped and chased them wherever I had to chase them till I caught them. They move because they know what I say I'm going to do. Once Tanner started driving, I laid out a whole list of behaviors. Because, you know, once they start driving, you don't really know what they're doing. I mean, you can think you know, but you don't really know what they're doing. And so I set out this whole list of behaviors for him, and I said, if I catch you participating in this, these behaviors or I find out that you were, I will call the police myself and have you arrested. And I was not kidding him. And he knew that. There was never a doubt in that kid's mind that I would call the police and have him arrested if he did A, B, C, or D. And he has told me, I mean, he's an adult now, and he has told me many times, I knew you would do it, Mom. And I would have. Because I've seen too many kids raised on empty threats and empty promises and empty words. James is saying to us here, listen, you can have all the faith in the world. You can have the entire Bible memorized. You can go to church three times a week. You can sing in the choir that we don't have. You can tithe 15% instead of 10. But if your deeds are not fulfilling the Great Commission, if you are not actively sharing Jesus with the lost, then your faith means nothing to anyone but you. When we accept Christ... We promise to grow in him. We promise to serve him. We promise to obey. We promise to go. And then when we do nothing but sit on our faith, we become an empty promise to God and useless to the people who need a Savior. Our faith has to go beyond words. Our faith has to produce actions and it needs to be a radical faith, which is what we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, that produces radical actions that go beyond the norm. And James addresses that for us in verse 19 when he says, You believe in one God? Well, good for you. But so do the demons. So what? I added the so what. But that's what's implied there. Good for you. You believe the same thing the demons do. That's not outside of the norm. Radical faith calls us to radical actions that go outside of the norm. You think I'm being harsh? Turn with me to Genesis 22. Let's look at that for a minute. Gen Genesis 22, verse 1. This story literally um, all makes me a little nauseous. 
when I really think about it. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. He didn't say find a goat and go. He said, take your only son and go. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over Go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Well, I don't know. What do you say after that? The end of the story is that God stopped Abraham from using his son as an offering. But because Abraham's faith was so deep that it, re- it produced such a radical action as to, to sacrifice his only son, Abraham was found to be righteous in the eyes of the Lord. And was called God's friend. Abraham had such a level of trust. His faith in his God was so deep that he acted on it to the point of slaying his own son. I don't think I could do that. I don't think my faith is that deep. Even standing before you today. Faith and deeds go hand in hand. You can't split them apart. It's like trying to divide grace and truth. They're part of one another. Our deeds are born of our faith. So that relationship that we have between our faith and our deeds becomes a heart issue. When you look at Abraham's heart, what does that say to you about his faith in his God? That he was willing to put his son on that altar. And then when I look at my faith and what I'm willing to do. Faith indeed go hand in hand. It's a heart issue. And if our faith is not so deep that it produces deeds that expand the kingdom of God, 
then there is something wrong in here. What kind of deeds am I talking about? You know, for you practical people, you want a list. I know that. You're not getting one. Because here's the deeds I'm talking about. I'm talking about whatever God is asking you to do. That might be feeding hungry people. That might be mentoring a child or an adult even. That might be holding a Bible study in a school or a park or a prison. Those were just a few things that my very finite mind could think of. But God's mind cannot be contained. And so I don't know what he's asking you to do. Only you know that. But when we start to say to God with such a radical faith, I'll do whatever you ask me to do, and we know how big God's mind, or we think we know how big God's mind is, and that he could ask us to do anything, and we don't know what that anything is, it scares us. It stops us in our tracks most of the time, if we're honest. That's why so many times our deeds do not go beyond the norm. Because our faith isn't deep enough to say to, to the Lord, I'll do what you ask me to do. Radical faith is what will produce radical deeds. So if we find ourselves sitting on our faith, and we don't have actions or deeds that are being produced from it, then what does that say about our faith? Our, our deeds and our actions are born out of our faith. So there's a direct correlation between the two. Radical deeds born of radical faith are cultivated and grown out of knowing who the person of Jesus is. And I don't know why this is, but so often we go to any other source but the Bible to know who Jesus is. If you want to know who Jesus is, look at what Jesus does. That's the best way to know him. The Gospels show us the character of Jesus. It shows us the heart of Jesus, the faith of Jesus, the actions of Jesus are all right there in the Gospels for us. He was a radical in every sense of the word. Nothing he did was normal. We need to be looking at who Jesus is. That is what is going to produce a radical, deep faith in us. Everything he did was through the power of God. And here is sometimes we discount this. We think that that power was just for Jesus or just for the apostles. We have access to that same power. But sometimes we just shut it off because we think it, it, it wasn't meant for us. We want to hide behind that. Well, we don't, you know, that was Jesus. Well, so what? We have that same access to the power of God that Jesus had, the same access to the power of God that the disciples had. And when we try to hide behind our insecurities and we say, oh, we're incompetent, we can't do this, we're insecure, we're incapable. What we're really saying is that our God is incompetent, incapable, and insecure. It's not always easy to take a risk. It is not easy at all. 
But that's what we're required to do if it means sharing the gospel with other people. Look at, back at the disciples. Each of them had their own very different personalities. Some of them were quiet and meek. Some of them were boisterous and just in your face. And then there were some in-betweens. But every single one of them had radical faith that produced radical deeds to the point of giving their lives for the gospel. And so we can't hide behind our personality types and, oh, I'm too shy and I'm too... The if God is asking us to do something, then we must step out in faith and do it or forsake the kingdom. If we're sitting doing nothing... If there's no outward actions being born of our faith that intentionally lead others to Christ, then our faith is dead. I didn't say that. James says that. But it makes a lot of sense. So practically, what does this look like? What does it mean for our faith? Or why is it sometimes our faith doesn't? produce deeds. Sometimes our faith is just shallow or maybe it's just young, new faith, and it needs to be deepened. That takes a conscience effort on our part. We have to be willing to be in the word, to really know who Jesus was. We have to be willing to surrender our lives and to spend time in prayer and knowing who he is. We have to invest in deepening our own faith. Sometimes maybe our our faith doesn't produce deeds because we've been a Christian for a really long time. Now, that doesn't sound like it equates, does it? You can flip up that next graphic there. In a book by Bill Hybels called Just Walk Across the Room, he shows this graphic. And I think it's very telling. And we talked about this today in our Sunday school class. And most everybody, I think everybody agreed with this, that the longer we walk with Christ, the longer we are a Christian the fewer interactions we will have with unchurched people or, or people who are far from God. And that makes sense because we begin to do things with one another. We begin to hang out with one another. We begin to seek people who have like ideas and, and like beliefs. We're more comfortable that way. And we need each other. Please do not hear me saying, go find 10 unchurched friends when we leave. We need each other, but we also have a responsibility to be interacting with people who are far from the Lord, people who are unchurched. And so we need to be aware of this kind of thing. The longer we walk with the Lord, the less and less unchurched people are going to be in our sphere of influence. And you know what? That's on us. So if we find ourselves in that position where we don't have a lot of unchurched people or any that we can invest in, we need to go find them because they're not coming here. Just because we hang our pretty sign out there does not mean they're coming in here. They're not coming here. We have to go find them. That's the Great Commission. We're tasked with going to find them. And investing in them. And that's taking a risk. But that's what radical faith will produce in us. Sometimes, too, I think our, and this is legitimate, sometimes our faith doesn't produce deeds because 
we just don't know what to do or we don't know where to start. That's a legitimate concern. We don't, maybe we don't know how to evangelize or how to approach people. And here's what I want to say to you about that. Ask your pastoral staff. We've been talking about this, and we've got some things in the works for you if you're interested as far as better equipping you to do this kind of thing. But also I want to say the best thing you can do is ask the Holy Spirit. If you don't know where to start or what to do, ask the Holy Spirit. The people who are able to, to bring others into the kingdom are very in tune with the Holy Spirit because they'll be listening constantly. And they'll, they'll, be, they'll know whether the Holy Spirit wants them to approach a person and what to say to that person. We've got to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. He's who's going to lead us to the people who need the Lord. And then we need to be careful not to confuse work of the church, little c, this church, the Church of the Nazarene in Marysville, with the work of the kingdom. While what we do here is very important, and I'm not saying it's not important, everything we do inside these walls is important, but it cannot substitute what we need to do out there. What we do in here cannot become more important than what we do out there. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick, and they're out there. So we need to be very careful that we're not becoming unbalanced, and we're doing so much here that we don't have time or energy to be focused on the kingdom. And then we need to honestly evaluate our faith to to deed ratio. And I don't want people to get obsessed with this. I know pen and paper people. You know, this would be my husband. Everything he analyzes, everything drives me insane. Um, You don't have to start keeping tally marks on your deeds. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying, really, find a quiet place where just you and the Lord can be together and figure out whether your faith is really producing the kind of deeds that are going to further the kingdom. Or figure out, is there a gap? Maybe is there something I need to work on in my faith to deepen it so that I can then produce deeds that will further the kingdom? And then I think we need to realize our purpose according to Christ and his kingdom. Jesus came for us, absolutely, yes, he did. But once we accept him and we're well established in our faith, we're given a responsibility. And the responsibility is not optional. The responsibility, though, is not always to be the person who's going to encounter an unchurched person, get them saved, sanctified, and discipled in five minutes. Not going to happen not going to happen but maybe you've got a person that's so far from God they're in the negative numbers okay let's say they're like at a negative five far from God okay so maybe they encounter Jody Springer somewhere and Jody listens to the Holy Spirit and says what she's supposed to say and maybe it has nothing at all to do with church or even God but she says what she's supposed to say and then that person along the way encounters Judy Luganbill. And then Judy moves that person from where Jody moved them. They're at maybe a zero. Judy moves them just a little bit closer 
to the kingdom. That was Judy's purpose in that person's life. She listened to the Holy Spirit, said what she was supposed to say, and just moved them on a little bit more. And then maybe they move ahead and they see they encounter Nancy Gilman. And Nancy moves them a little bit closer. And then Jan Knox gets to lead them to the Lord. Everybody wants that job. But sometimes that's not our place in a person's life. Our place is to listen to the Holy Spirit and just move them along wherever they need to go in their lives. But we have to be in tune with that and know that we have to listen to the Spirit because the Spirit knows where people are in their journey and what they need and what they need to hear from us. So we need to know our purpose according to Christ and his kingdom. And then lastly, we just need to act. If our faith is not producing actions that go beyond the norm, if our faith is not producing actions that are expanding the kingdom and bringing others closer to the Lord, we need to stop making excuses and act. We need to figure out where the breakdown is and get it fixed. God will not call us or ask us to do something that he does not equip us for. Will it be scary? Yes. Will it be uncomfortable? Yes. Can you do it through the power of God? Absolutely. He will not ask us to do something he will not enable us to do. And so we must trust with that kind of trust that Abraham had. Faith in deeds is not an either-or proposition. It's both and. It's both faith and deeds in our lives working for the glory of God. It's working to share Jesus with the unchurched. It's going to find them. It's figuring out your purpose in their life at that time. And so let me ask you individually, and, and I ask myself this, how are, how are you doing on that front? How am I doing in moving the unchurched closer to the Lord? It's a truth that smacks us in the face. But as hard as it is to take an honest look at, at the kinds of actions that our faith is producing, I would rather do that and own up to that than to sit on my faith and be nothing more than a bunch of empty words when there are people who need to move closer to Jesus. Radical faith produces radical deeds. And we have to step up to that and own that truth. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. It's difficult. Lord, it's, it doesn't leave us uh, feeling warm and fuzzy. But Jesus, we know that this was written for our good. We are the audience of this letter. There's a reason and a purpose that it was written. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be obedient and courageous enough to step up and to let this truth invade our hearts and our lives. I pray, Jesus, it would be a truth that we would think about all week long. We wouldn't be able to get away from it. I pray you would help us to 
um, not walk out the door and just stuff this sermon in the trash can, but you would help us, Jesus, to continue to think about it. Are we moving people who need you closer to you? Help us, Jesus, to be that kind of church, that kind of kingdom builders. Lord, we, we need to do that for you, and we pray that you'll empower us to do so. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen.